Last week we talked about how the stage was set for the sun. Here comes the sun. The stage was set. And today we're going to talk about the sun is born. The sun is born. And our text is in Luke chapter 2. We read Matthew last week, Matthew 1. So we're going to read Luke 2 this week. And uh, those two passages, Matthew uh, 1 and Luke 2, give us a, a good section of the birth of Jesus and uh, what that looked like and what happened, how it unfolded. And both of them kind of cover different parts of that. But uh, we're going to read out of Luke chapter 2, um, the verse, first seven verses. And, uh, and then next week, just so you know where we're going, next week we're going to talk about the sun is worship. So the stage was set for the sun. Today the sun is born. Next week the sun is worshipped. And that is going to be uh, really cool as we talk about how he was worshipped when he was born. Uh, and that, um, and then when we move into the new year, we're gonna we're gonna move into a, um, a series called "Let Go and Let God." Uh, let go and let God. That's where we're gonna be going next year, uh, in the beginning of the year, as we begin to continue to let God have His way in the church and in our lives, as we like just try to follow God, follow Jesus into this world. Okay, Luke chapter two, verse one. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in the manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Very familiar passage, very familiar story. We we hear it every year. We kind of know it pretty much in our minds. But what we don't think about, I think, sometimes is all that God did to bring this day about. I don't think we realize the, uh, the, 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 how, how detailed God is. It's a story about the birth of Jesus, yes. And as you read uh, Matthew 1 and Luke 2, you, we, get a, we get a kind of a picture of what that looked like and what was going on in the times and what God did to bring Jesus here. And so it's the birth of Jesus. It's a story about Mary and Joseph, two human beings, people just like you and me, just living on the earth, minding their own business, trying to live for God, honoring God, and God chose to, to use them in a powerful and big way. And it's about this little town called Bethlehem that is bigger than we'll ever realize. Uh, so, so not only do we see, like last week, that God orchestrated all of the predictions, all of the prophecies that went into, uh, over 100 prophecies about the Messiah, but many of them specifically about the birth of Jesus and what that would look like and where we would be born and all those things that God orchestrated but he laid out and he set up and he put in place and he carried out every detail of the day as well. When I say day, I mean this birth of Jesus, the, the, the trip to Bethlehem, the birth of the Savior, and all that took place in those few days. 
God worked out details. So what I want to do today as we think about those two passages of Scripture is look at the details of this day, the details of the day as the son was born. So verse 1 and 2, let's look at this. It's the detail of the decree, the decree, the decree. Okay, the detail of the decree. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So a decree is an edict, right? It's an ordinance or an announcement that you are to do something by a high authority, that a census should be taken. In other words, a head count should be taken. And everyone was to go to their birthplace, right? To their birthplace, to register, to be accounted for, right? As, as, a, as a, a live roll call was taken, a citizen head count, if you would. Possibly also, during these, um, uh, these censuses, they would uh, to also tax you. So if you owed the government money, they were going to collect. If you had land or property, you were going to pay up on what you had. And the government would take that money and use it however they use it. Yeah, in different ways, right? Or at times, a, a census was used to recruit for military purposes. And sometimes it was used for all of the above, you know, for all these things. But at any rate, they had to go back to their hometown. It had come, this decree had come from a ruler, and it had to come from a ruler, somebody in high authority. Here it was the Roman emperor, or at least a high official in the government of Cornelius. Okay, it hadn't happened in a while. Usually these censuses take, uh, happen every 10 years or so. So they don't happen every year or all the time. It's usually 10 years or more. And this one is of the entire world, which literally means the inhabited world, all of the world, in that part of the world, everyone had to go to their hometown. And a census was a normal thing. We even read about censuses back in the book of Numbers. Moses wrote about it. God told Moses, take a census of the whole Israelite community, clans and families. And the book of Numbers is basically a census of all the people that belonged to Israel. And so this was not a new thing. It was something that happened a lot. But it didn't happen all the time. So what's significant about the decree detail? You might ask. Somebody ask. What's uh, significant about the decree detail? Are you asking me right now? Okay, that's what I thought. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. Well, here's the significance of it. And there's much. But here's the significance of it. The timing of it was perfect. The timing of this decree that this census should be taken was perfect. Without anybody knowing it but God, it was perfect. It put Mary and Joseph in his hometown when that baby was supposed to be born. Exactly when that baby was supposed to be born. It had to happen just like this because... The prophet said it would. We just sang a song about it. God said that the baby would be born in Bethlehem, but they lived 80 miles north in, in Nazareth, a four days journey away. Okay, So think about this. They lived 80 miles away, four days journey, and the baby that is about to be born to Mary needs to be born in Bethlehem. So here's the thing, they would never travel 
at this time of the year. It's winter. It's cold. It's a long journey. She's about to bust. They did not go to Bethlehem because they wanted to. They went to Bethlehem because they had to. The emperor said so. God had orchestrated this tiny detail. The emperor declaring a head count that everyone should go to their hometown, Mary pregnant at this very moment, and Joseph just happened to be from the town of Bethlehem. Coincidence or God? Right? Only God could orchestrate all these things to bring about this moment where this decree had been ordered for people to go to their hometown. No, uh, and a decree that made everyone go now. Go now. You had to go by this certain date. You had to go. No decree, no trip to Bethlehem, and the whole thing is messed up. Right? Jesus gets born in Nazareth of Galilee, not in Bethlehem without a decree. That little tiny detail of the decree is so big. So the emperor does his part without even knowing it. Mary is ripe with a baby. Joseph saddles up the donkey and off they go. And God says, here comes the son. The detail number two of everyone. Think about that. Verse three says, and everyone went to their own town to register. Everyone. Everyone. Like good citizens, right? They pack up, they load up, they get the station wagon packed, and they go to their hometown. That's where they had to go. Like good citizens, they had to go. This was not optional. In fact, the punishment for not going and reporting to the government on a census that was ordered by the emperor would be imprisonment or death. Unless you had a really good excuse like you were off to war fighting for the emperor or the king. That was the only excuse that you could use to not report. Everyone else had to report and everyone went. And here's the thing, not all decrees were for everyone. And not all the decrees were for going to your hometown. Some of the decrees were to go to the city that you reside and report. Some of the decrees were just for certain regions or certain cities. But this decree just happened to be for everyone. And it wasn't go to the city you reside in. It was go to the city of your birthplace. All to their own town, all to their own city, all to their own birthplace. Joe had to go to his hometown. It was where he belonged. That's what the scripture says. And everyone had to go home to register. Everyone had to go to be accounted for. Everyone. Tiny detail means so, so much to us. Number three, the detail of the hometown boy. Verse four and five, look what it says. So Joseph, Joseph, this guy that's engaged to Mary, to be married to her, Mary who's impregnated by the Holy Spirit. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. 
How cool is that? So Joseph is from the house of David. He is from the town of David, the city of Bethlehem. Jerusalem is the city of David. But Bethlehem is where David was born and where David was crowned king. And so Bethlehem is the city of David, is the town of David where he came from. It's where David's lineage began as well. And so Joseph was from the lineage and from the house of David. And so Joseph was a hometown boy with David in Bethlehem. We're not sure about Mary's uh, hometown. We really don't know where Mary is from. We do know that Joseph moved on up to Nazareth, and that's where we find Joseph and Mary coming together and being engaged. She most likely was probably from the town of Nazareth. That's where they met. We don't know that she is from where she's from. We, we, it's safe to say that she was a Jew, right? She's probably from Nazareth because that's where Job moved and they were, they were love at first sight, right, when they met together. There's some interesting things about Mary that um, you should know. Mary, did you know, right? We sing the song, Mary, did you know? Did you know? Some interesting facts about Mary. Here's, here's a couple of them. Mary is the only person... Mary, did you know, Mary is the only person who was at the birth and the death of Jesus. She's the only person on the planet in all of the universe that we know of that was at both of those events. Number two, she knew the Old Testament prophecy, which probably means she was Jewish, because when she sings her song in Luke 1, it reveals that she knows the Old Testament. Mary had four other sons after Jesus. Jesus is the firstborn. She had four other sons. Can anybody name one of them? Go ahead. We have a Judas, we have a James, a Joseph, and a Simon. Not apostles, not early disciples. These are all children that were named these names after Jesus came along. And she had daughters. She had daughters after Jesus. Mark chapter um, 6, verse 3 tells us that she had daughters, and the daughters are unnamed in the scriptures. So we, we don't even know their names. But Mary had many other children after Jesus was born. Mary was the only person to ever be impregnated by the Holy Spirit. That's an interesting fact. Mary is one of six Marys in the New Testament. There are many other Marys in the New Testament that we read about. She was not sinless and is the original immaculate conception miracle, not the immaculate reception miracle, as recorded by Frankel Harris in 1972. Interesting facts about Mary. So Mary, Mary, uh, the census, if, if you look in your Bibles in Luke, uh, Luke chapter two, 3, look at verse uh, chapter 3, verse 23, where um, Luke gives us the genealogy account in verse 23, uh, Luke says, Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. That's a, that's a great detail and fact about Jesus and how old he was when he started his ministry. And we can calculate when he began or when he was born. And then we can calculate when he died based on the, the uh, Passovers he was at. But look what it says. When he began his ministry, he was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. Isn't that an interesting little detail right there? So it was thought. Why would they put that there? Because 
He wasn't really Joseph's son. He was, was God's son, right? He's God's son. He was born of Mary, but he was Joseph's, Joseph's son, or at least in the genealogy account, he's accounted for as Joseph's son. If you flip back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, it says this, Nathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. And so in the genealogy account, we see this hometown boy, Joseph, is the father of Jesus in the physical sense. That's pretty cool. You see, Joseph is this hometown boy. He was chosen for a purpose, a lot of purposes, and for a specific reason. Joseph is the right man for this job. In fact, he's probably the only man that could fill this job. He and Mary were engaged to be married, right? That happened naturally. That happened before the angel appeared. It happened before, before uh, God stepped in and, and, and all this began to unfold. That was a natural occurrence that those two came together by the grace of God, right? By the foreknowledge of God, they're already together when we read this story. And he's going to be the reason that the two of them end up in Bethlehem at the right time. Secondly, he is the, in the lineage of David which is a huge detail and an important fact that God is orchestrating all this. His lineage is that the Christ will come through, that the very Christ would come through that lineage. So it had to be Joe, and it had to be where Joe was from, and it had to be who Joe, Joe was like engaged to. See, Jesus was to be born in the lineage of David. That detail of this hometown boy named Joseph, would bring them together to Bethlehem, would fulfill the lineage of Jesus, would bring Mary to Bethlehem pregnant, and would result in Jesus being born, you got it, right there in that stable, in that manger, in that little town, Joe's hometown, called Bethlehem. And God said, here comes the son. Our God is a God of details, isn't he? I mean, very detailed. Very detailed. And every detail that God plans happens just like God plans it. Matthew, Matthew's account also has some details that I want to just touch on that are pretty big de details. Luke focuses on the trip to Bethlehem mostly. Matthew focuses mainly on the birth and the pregnancy and the relationship between Mary and Joseph. Those two kind of fit together really well, the harmony, as you look at both of those, there's so much there that both of them bring out that the other does not. We're going to look more into that next week as we think about the uh, Magi and, uh, and uh, the shepherds. Okay, but the detail, Matthew talks about the detail of the Holy Spirit impregnating Mary, that same Spirit, that same Holy Spirit, right, that was in the beginning with God. That same Holy Spirit that makes up the Trinity, right? The three in one. That same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that, pour, that was poured out on the day of Pentecost. That same Holy Spirit that fills believers who repent and turn to Jesus. Well, that same Spirit also impregnated Mary. And Matthew brings that up. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, Matthew says, Before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through... Not Joseph, not any human being, 
but through the Holy Spirit. And if you look at verse 20 of Matthew 1, it says, The Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said to Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Matthew gives us that detail, and that's a big detail. That's huge. Matthew gives us this other detail about Joseph being a stand-up guy. Think about Joseph just for a minute. He's a godly man. And it's a good thing he's a godly man because other men would have dumped Mary when they found out she was pregnant. They would have had nothing to do with her. They would have called her a whore and sent her away. But not Joseph. He's a stand-up guy. He was faithful, the scripture says, to the law of God. He respected Mary, and he did not want to humiliate her publicly, but he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He considered it, and then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and got the story straight for him. But before the angel said anything to Joseph, he already was going to do the right thing. Why? Because he's a stand-up guy. And Matthew Matthew wanted to make sure we knew that. Matthew wanted to make sure we knew that detail. Matthew also gives us details about the prophets foretelling. We talked about that last week. Matthew also gives us a detail about we will give him the name Jesus. Matthew also gives us a detail about he will save us from our sin. Matthew also gives us a detail about he is God with us, Emmanuel. Incredible details that only God could pull off and he did it through Matthew. He shared these details with us through Matthew as if God were saying to all of us, here comes the son. Here comes the son. He's coming. And then there's one last detail I want to share with you from Luke's account. And it's verses 6 and 7. It's the detail of the time. The time. Such an important detail. Look at verse 6. It says, while uh, they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, all the other kids came later, her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloth and placed him in the manger because there was no guest room available for them. So from the days of old, from ancient days, God said, get ready, here comes my son. Through the prophets, hundreds of years before Jesus steps on the planet, God is saying to us, here comes my son. Through the people that lived during the time of Jesus' birth and around the birth of Christ, people like Caesar Augustus, people like the innkeeper, King Herod, the Magi, the shepherds, Mary and Joseph, and so many other people through places, through circumstances, through dates that God had arranged every detail, every bit of it. And when the time was right, when the time had come, God said, now's the time. Now is the time. It's all about timing, and it's all about God's timing, right? And that's the truth for you and me. It's all about his timing. Not ours, right? Not ours. We can't do this. We could never pull this off. No matter how many, like, how many councils we could bring together to try to make this happen over this period of time, we could never do this. Never. We don't control anybody, but God does. 
And he shows us that his details are perfect. And he shows us that his timing is perfect. And he can, he can have people do exactly what he wants them to do when he wants them to do it without them even knowing they're doing it. And that's what we see in the birth of Jesus in every detail. It is perfect. The perfect setting. It's the perfect time. It's the perfect place. It's the perfect people. It's the perfect conditions. It's the perfect ruler at this very moment that God saw from the beginning. And the scripture says, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloth, and she placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And the Son of God was born, just like God planned it. How cool is that? All details accounted for, all details unfolding, all details ordained by God, all details fulfilled in the right month, on the exact day, at the right moment. Where the shepherds are ready and waiting and tending, where the magi are watching for a sign, where Caesar Augustus is flexing his muscles, where Herod is soon going to come into power for the next set of details, where Mary and Joseph arrive at Bethlehem in just the right time, where there's a manger, a trough filled with hay waiting for the birth, and where the sheep and the goats and the cattle are all in place. God said, here comes the sun. And so what does this mean to you and me? I mean, it means a lot of things. I know it does. But there's two things that this means to us for sure that I think are big things. Number one is this. God is in control, total control of everything. You know, you may not think so at times. It may seem like things are out of control. You know, we look at the world and all that goes on and we're like, this place is a chaos. The whole planet, the whole world. Sometimes you may even feel like that about your own life. Like, I have no control of what's going on, and it's not going the way I would like it to go. The fact of the matter is, God is in total control. He is in total control even when you don't, you don't know what's going on. He does. He is orchestrating all events. He is orchestrating every detail. Their lives, my life, your life. He's aware, he's alert, and he's working. All things, the good, the bad, and the ugly of your life, God is working. Romans 8 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good, for those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. He, God, is in total control. If we don't get that out of this, the details of the day of the birth of Christ and all that God brought together, and all the people he used, Christian, non-Christian, secular kings, servants, donkeys, stars, and magi, and shepherds on a stinky hill. If, if we don't see that, we're missing it. Like he's in control of everything. Everybody and everything, total control. Second thing is this, you only need to trust him. That's what we need to do is just simply trust the one who is in total control. Nobody else is in this kind of control. You are not in the control of your own life. We're not in control of really much of anything. You can't even control your breathing. You could probably hold your breath long for a little while, but, but even then, your body is going to scream for air. We're in control of way less than we think. But God is in total control 
of everything, like everything, every heartbeat that you have, every breath you breathe, he is in total control of it all. And he came for you. That baby that was born is our savior, the savior of all mankind to provide like cleansing for your sin so you can be right with God, to forgive you, to love you, to say to you, the father of all creation loves you. And he came here and he sent his son to die for you. Everything has been provided. The law and its punishment has been paid for by Jesus. The word of God is alive and living in a light unto your path. The Holy Spirit is available for anyone to come and live within you. The angels are eagerly awaiting your response so they can break out in celebration and times of refreshing are ready to be poured out on you anyone it's up to you it is up to you what you will do but either way the sun is coming let's pray father we love you god and you're so good to us you, you, you have done more than we will ever know. These are just some of the things that, I, that we were able to point out today from your word that you have been working and doing and that you brought about to bring about the birth of Jesus. We just get a small taste of all that you've been up to, the details of your work and the timing of your hand and the, 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 the miraculous ability, God, of you to arrange everything, to know everything in advance, to bring about the birth of Jesus, the Son who was born to us. And I pray, God, today that we would just get a little bigger glimpse of, of who you are and how awesome you are, how much you mean to us, how exact your control is over everything, even the things that we think we're in control of, you are in ultimate control of even those. Father, the best we could do is just give you ourselves today. And we pray that you would accept us, Father, that we would surrender our hearts and our minds to the one who is in control of everything. God, that we would give you us. God, that we would trust you with everything in us. Lord, we love you so much. And we know we got family and we got friends and we got neighbors and people that live all around us, that, that have no clue about who you are or what you've done for us. And I pray, God, that in this time of the season, you'll use us in a powerful way that your timing and your details will work through us in such a way that others would see your glory, would see your Son, and know that Jesus came for them and that he's coming again for all of us. Father, we pray that you'll open our hearts and use us in a mighty way. We pray in Jesus' name.